All right, another jam-packed spring training edition of the Shannon Podcast about to begin. We'll talk extensions. What's the latest with Lindor and Conforto? We'll talk a potential Michael Conforto trade. Yes, no, you heard me right. We'll visit it as a potential topic. Also, we'll talk about three Mets relievers and how solid the foundation is for them to make the Mets roster as we move north and break out of camp in Port St. Louis. Shannon Podcast starts now. Great tease. Welcome to the show, everybody. Doug Williams and Andy Martino with you this week. Andy, hello. Doug. Hello. We were discussing before we came on how um, we don't like each other behind the scenes, just like Mike and Mike used to be. Well, you would have thought that had you watched our exchange as the Zoom began. It was, hello, Andy. Hello, Doug. And then just like kind of silence for a little while. I'm feeling a little distracted and anxious today. So I wasn't my normal bubbly self. Why so. are you distracted and distracted and anxious? I don't, know. I don't know. You ever just get like a wave of anxiety where you're not quite yourself on a given day? Well, yeah, all, all the time. Yeah, I got one of those today. Only all fine. the time. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder, subscribe, rate, and review uh, wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate it once again. Um, Andy's on a couple times a week, uh, and I host Baseball Night New York. That's weeknights at 6 o'clock on SNY. Um, it's been really fun lately to have guys like Omar Manaya and Terry Collins and some new uh, panelists on, on the show. Um, we asked Terry some ridiculous questions on Friday, which is really fun. He, I he- watched that. I love I, I loved Terry on the show. He was You could tell he was having fun, too. Yeah. And, and what's really funny, Andy, you were on his first show. So, you know, that his, his first zoom connection at his place in yeah. Florida was like an oil painting. And <laughs> then his, his, um, his nephew set him up with like a, a legit setup at his nephew's place. And he looked like he was in 4k. Oh, he looked incredible. I noticed that too. I didn't know that that was the difference, but I'm glad to hear that because Terry's like such a good talker and when he buys into some like he could be cranky too but he's not cranky on BNMI he's buying into it and then he has the potential to be incredible TV but not if he's if he's you know freezing every two seconds so I'm glad to hear he's found a solution for that we well I should say I in case it goes wrong you know I I get the the blame and I get the credit if it goes well but we're gonna do the next time he comes on and kind of going forward we're going to do a segment called in the jackpot where we just kind of like pepper Terry Love with it. questions. When uh, is that? What day? I don't know the next time he's on. It's probably this week at some point. Uh, I really hope I'm on that one. I actually got jealous of you. Like I turned the TV on on Friday at six and I saw Terry and I was like, I want to be on that show that I, I mean, you know, I love the man. I love yeah. his company. It, it, honestly, he is like, Talking to him is really refreshing. Hearing his voice on the show, it, it's great to have him and his voice back in our in our Mets Omar uh, too. baseball those content. Two, those are two people that make you smile. And by the way, oh my God, incredible natural transition. Speaking of BNNY cast members, I'm watching uh, Jerry Blevins come into the game as we speak here in the. He's uh, been he's pitched pretty well so far this spring. Last I saw, you have three ERA. Yeah, he just came in with runners in the corners and one out. I'm watching the Astros Mets on AT&T Sportsnet. I'm glad our company's not called that. ATTSN is 
doesn't roll off the tongue like SNY does. Yeah. Well, that's a good promotion for our uh, employer. Right. Um, okay, so let's get into the extensions first. Uh, extensions for everybody. Jeff thinks this is like a hilarious name for a segment that like everybody gets an extension. It's like Oprah. Um, when in reality, uh, it's, it's Lindor and Conforto and there's a lot we don't know. However, I'm willing to play up the energy of the segment just to make Jeff happy, Andy. So mm-hmm. Lindor update, Conforto update. Let's go. Lindor update is the Mets offered him just less than $300 million. SMY reported this on Friday. Uh, he, he wants, he countered once with significantly more than that. There's going to be a problem if he wants Tatis type money, I think. I don't think the Mets will give it to him. Uh, so we're really interested to see how that plays out over the next, really, like, days. He's got that hard deadline. Uh, they're definitely reason to wonder, like, really, you won't take our $310 million on April 10th? Okay. But he won't, <laughs> according to him. So we'll find out how that's going to go pretty soon. Mets like him. They want to sign him. They don't sign him. They'll sign someone else this winter. That's how they feel about it, truly. Uh, so that's what's going on there. They're negotiating. Um, for the record, I think you'll find this interesting. He also mentioned it on the air in the booth, but Keith thinks the the opening day deadline is is basically BS. He thinks well, we'll find out. He thinks it's and you would know better than I would if this if there's any truth to this and how often this happens. But he thinks Lindor saying that to apply even an ounce more of pressure, whether it's public and and not real or actually real, on the Mets, even though. Yeah, obviously, if he gets the exact contract he wants a week into the season, he'll take it. Uh, we'll see. I, I Look, I, I understand what Keith's saying. That's logical. We just don't know for sure. I was surprised. I was thinking the same way as Keith. So I was somewhat surprised in the recent Lindor Zoom when he was very firm about it. Yeah. He was like, I will go to free agency. He's like, oh, okay, you meant that. You know, I thought he might give a little wiggle room at that time. So that's what the Mets have to go by now. I can tell you they're internally operating as if that deadline is real. Um, but also, like I said, there is a little bit of like, we're, we're going to offer you. We are offering you a lot of money here. Can we get, can we, you sure we can't right. talk about this a little bit after that day? So we'll see. It wouldn't shock me if there was some kind of joint statement or leak the night before opening day saying they mutually agreed to extend the window or something like that. Wouldn't be crazy to, Think that could happen but like i said lindor has been firm and conforto hasn't i called scott boris on uh friday and said does conforto have this deadline and boris declined to say that he did he hasn't told the mets privately that they did so uh, or that they do so there's there isn't any such deadline on conforto they've given themselves that wiggle room what a funny idea that i hadn't thought of a joint statement that they've agreed to continue which makes sense though if if you're Lindor's camp, you feel like you're getting somewhere in negotiations. It's bad business to then be like, no, nope, sorry, pencils down. Uh, right. You know, like, so I, I could see that happening too. They, that would make a lot of sense if they feel like they're actually going back and forth and that they're not stalled um, in negotiations. So so that's your Conforto update too, that, that Boris told you, he, it's what he didn't tell you that you find interesting that maybe we could go into the season with a negotiation for Conforto. I look, I said to Boris directly, like when I ask you directly, does you have this deadline that Lindor has? And he said, Michael's focused on the season and like, 
passing on the opportunity to say yes, there's a deadline. And it's been the same with the Mets. So they're going back and forth. I'd be pretty surprised. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's a direct parallel. I was about to say I'd be surprised if Conforto signed before opening day. But I'm, I'm going to backtrack on that, actually, because this is the parallel to when they were negotiating contract extensions in 2012 with David Wright and Ari Dickey. This was in the offseason, not spring training, but the same thing. And it was Alderson, obviously, doing it then as well. You're negotiating in good faith on two different tracks with two different players. And when you're in the middle of that, you don't know which one or if you're going to go 0 for 2 or 1 for 2 or 2 for 2, you don't know. And something could happen with one of those players. It impacts what you're willing to do with another. They could end up with a great uh, agreement that everyone feels great about with Conforto, and that could change what they're willing to spend on Lindor. Uh, or they could say, hey, we're not going to sign Conforto. It's clear to us. So therefore, let's put all our eggs in the Lindor basket and up that offer a little. These things are sort of interrelated a little bit. So it, it, although they're not, they're parallel tracks, but they're interrelated in the sense that naturally they could affect one another. And, and that's why it's hard to predict which one's going to end up in an actual agreement, if any. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to, you know, Jeff, you're sitting down. Luckily, I'm going to move down in the rundown and then come back. Okay. Um, Jeff and our digital department seems to be able to know what the world is Googling. I, mm -hmm. This is a new, a new capability of technology that I realized was possible. Like so a back-end thing that you can do? In, in coming up with a topic for this little podcast, we were able to know what the world cares about. And what the world apparently has just begun searching is over the past seven days um, on the U.S. baseball web search. Do I have that right, Jeff? Yeah, he shrugs. I, I don't it know. sound like you're translating that in a, into a different language. People are, baseball. are people are Googling Mets trade Conforto. It's a rising search over the past seven days. Okay. Again, I didn't I didn't realize that we were like a, a government research program, but apparently we are, and we know that people are starting to wonder if Conforto is going to get traded after all this. Do you see that as a possibility? Is this like a Google business feature? Like you have access to this kind of data? Again, very high tech. Do we okay. have, look, do we have professional microphones? No, but we're <laughs> basically, we're, we are monitoring your Googles. We uh, are in your homes. That's right. Um, Let's see. we're like a smart TV. We're listening to everything. We know what you want to know about the Mets. Um, would they trade Michael Conforto? Sure. If he's not part of the future. Uh, I think he there's a good chance. He will be part of the future, but they don't know. Look, it's the same thing I said with Lindor. The Mets are like, Hey, we're going to spend. Maybe it's on Conforto. Maybe it's not. We'll see if we can come up with a, an agreement that we feel is good. Good agreement. If they move on, could they trade him? Absolutely. And I don't think that it, that would be more likely if they were out of the race in July, of course, which I don't expect to be the case. But uh, there are plenty of creative trades made with good major league players that contending teams make. I mean, I mean, I'm, obviously, this is high, high speculation. You know, this is not. I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything to this right now. But I'm saying if the Mets were to conclude that they're not signing Conforto, he will become a free agent. 
then you'd of course be open to trades come July. Yeah. Even if you're still in it. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you remember when uh, the Red Sox and the A's traded Lester for Cespedes when they were both in a pennant race? I mean, you never. it's more often to have buyers and sellers, but you often have uh, teams that sort of, you know, trade pieces off their team to acquire pieces of need. It could happen. I, well, I know you're not saying you Probably think not. this is going to happen or, yeah, exactly, or anywhere close to it. The conversation that you and I had, I forget if it was on the podcast or kind of off the air, um, about the the Major League Baseball player who, who gets to the big leagues and decides, I want to be in a position of leadership, not only to represent my team, but represent the league. And Confortos doing that, him coming up when Sandy was the GM, mm-hmm. his growth in the organization, his participation the last time they went on a World Series run, I doubt it happens due to all of that. And it's already obviously a long shot anyway. What, what were you going to say? Well, with one thing that I disagree, I, I get your overall point, but to having being on the executive board of the union is not a plus for any team management. That is a major negative. If you're, if you're looking at it from, from a team's perspective, he is a general of the enemy army in the labor wars. But you don't think Sandy is the type of guy who respects that? Uh, I don't want to speak for Sandy. No, I think that Sandy respects Conforto's overall uh, maturity and intelligence. Yes. I haven't, I'm not going to represent Sandy's position on like Conforto on the, being on the executive board, but when players, the stories that I wrote a couple weeks ago about players like Conforto and Cole giving their points about what they thought was important in the labor negotiations so a team president, probably every team president would be like, oh, geez, I do not agree with what you're saying right now. You are part of the problem. I'm just saying that's a negative for teams, not a positive, not like a okay. deal breaker, but it's not a positive. And furthermore, it's interesting because Lindor, I asked a Mets source actually last week, didn't write about this. So this is actually exclusive content to the Shading podcast. So I'm about to say, I said to a Mets person, I said, is it problematic for you guys that coincidentally both Lindor and Conforto are on the eight member executive board. What are the odds? You know, is is that going to hurt you guys in negotiations? Because the way they look at it, it's not just about them. It's about the whole brotherhood of players and getting the most money you can. So it trickles down to other contracts and comps. And the answer I got back was maybe, maybe that's a problem. You know, no one's saying it explicitly, but these are two guys given their positions I'm sure have some sense of responsibility to just maximize their dollars wherever they play. Such a shame because team presidents, owners, whatever may view that as a negative, but from my point of view, just as people, it makes me view them more positively. Anybody who shows up somewhere and decides I could just live my life or I could make a difference. Like I, I respect the people who, who, volunteer for more work and that's what both of them have done i agree with you but notice that if you just to think of it and i'm not saying how sandy alderson would feel to be very clear i'm saying how management type almost universally would feel it's like extra work could be i'll do more community work for the community relations department of my team or it could be 
I will fight my team at the negotiating table as a member of the union's leadership. You know the difference? I yeah, agree with yeah. you. It makes them more interesting people to talk to. But again, like you have a labor war coming up. It really sucks to tell you that I have spoken to two prominent GMs over the past four or five days who are sure that there will be no baseball at the beginning of 2022 season, that there will be a work stoppage. And they're like, oh, they're dreading it. And like, so if you're Lindor and Conforto, you're two of the eight, you know, faces of that. Yeah, I just if I became a major league baseball player, I just have this feeling that I would just want to make as much money and play this fun sport and not care about like I I, I just respect their I, I understand your point, but I, I, I view it totally differently, ha- having no skin in the game. But the problem is that if you do have skin in the game and you're an owner or a team president, uh, I could see how you view it as a con. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and unfortunately, it's that's going to get more tense as we move through the season. Any other, um, back to the, the previous segment, Jeff, I didn't miss it. Any other extension possibilities? Stroman, Syndergaard, uh, Trevor May, Sam McWilliams, <laughs> Jordan Yamamoto. Uh, yes, we can also exclusively report that the Yamamoto extension is close. Not done. No, I'm just kidding. There is no Yamamoto extension. No, I think they're only working on these two right now. Is yeah. that not enough for you? Uh, uh, half a billion dollars in contract negotiations going on at one time. You want more? Or who are you talking to? Are you talking to Jeff, me, the fan base? Uh, less you than the other two. Although you were yeah. the one in the position of posing the question. Uh, yeah, Syndergaard's a possibility at some point. Um, Strowman is a free agent to be. I, I, I don't see it. Uh, not on the radar, really. I think Stroman's going to have a really good year. And I think that that's going to become an interesting conversation if he does. Um, Could be. He's making a lot of money this year too, which complicates things because he'll want more than that every year. So anyway, that's for a different time. Got the chance Um, to put himself in a position to make a lot of money with a good year. Like you said, that's true. Uh, So the pitching depth, Andy, we, you were watching Lucchese. Um, yep. pitch today suddenly he and Peterson have kind of been thrust into the position of of being in the rotation and by the way a point that I haven't heard made thank goodness if you're a Met fan and thank goodness if you're Sandy Alderson that you signed Taiwan Walker not only has he looked really impressive but he just makes you feel better uh, without Carrasco um, because you've got a three or two, depending on how you view Stroman. So I, I think the Mets are in fine shape. My, my, the, the level of, of not panic, I won't call it that. I don't think it was panic, but the, the reaction to Carrasco's injury was like, um, are the Mets still a good team? Like, uh, do they have a chance? And like, I get that every game in 162 ends up being valued the same. Every game is just as important as the other, whether it's in May or September, but you're going to be, they're going to be fine. Like Syndergaard and Carrasco will come back and they will have a really good rotation, I think. Um, and I think they're a good enough team to get like Lucchese and Peterson are, are going to be okay. They'll, they'll get there. Um, what do you think of the depth at the back end? Do you think that's a concern? Well, you mentioned Taiwan Walker, first of all, before I answer your main question, you talk about people who have interesting um, other things that they're onto. 
I'm supposed to talk to Taiwan Walker later today about his entry into this NFT and crypto space. Yeah, good luck space. with that. Good well, luck I've with spent that. The, I've spent some days reading up on it, and I talked to an expert this morning. I really was like uh, interested in that. You know, the NBA is selling um, NBA you, NBA Top Shot. Did you know what NFT was before, like last week? Did you? Had you I heard still. That? I still don't know what NFT is, but I know what NBA Top Shop is. That's NFT. Top Shot. Are those the same yeah. thing? Yeah. You buy a highlight package or something. Right. And you spend a premium on it. And it's you buy it in Bitcoin or any or some other kind of cryptocurrency. You know what? Let's just not get bogged down in this. It's interesting. Right. Walker's, Taiwan like, Walker's into it. Yeah. The fir- but he's the first MLB player who's in that space. And I, I'm interested to talk to him about that. A lot of these people are very interesting outside what they do on TV for a living that we, that we see. So it's always, I, I'm agreeing with your comment before about the labor leaders. It's interesting to look at these guys from a different angle sometimes, which is why I agree to do that story on Walker. But anyway, um, I think that they're in pretty good shape with the rotation depth. Um, you know, something that Anthony Recker said on BNNY did make me think uh, uh, last week on this topic, because I was kind of defending them. And I still mean when I said, like, look, their pro scouting department did a good job. They went out and they got these guys at Lucchese's and Yamamoto's and da-da-da, which is good. It's way better than last year when, when as discussed uh, many times, like, they didn't know who was starting in two days last year. There came a point where there was no rotation. So that's not going to be an issue this year probably. But if you're trying to win a championship – you don't have, and this is the part that Rex said, like the Dodgers have like Dustin May at number six or seven in their rotation, uh, you know, Gonsolin and um, David Price. Like, does he have a spot in the rotation? I know I'm talking about like a super team, uh, but my point is even the Yankees uh, have uh, Herman Garcia, you know, there's like all these like high end guys and the Mets have like, all right, Jordan Yamamoto will give you four and a third and he'll keep you in the ball game. So the Mets have, the guys, the, the human beings to pitch now, but they don't have the, the high-end depth that their other – if they want to see themselves as in the league of the Yankees and Dodgers, that's, that's a, uh, an area of the roster where they're not. Well, did you see the – were you on the show that he actually did his five options and listed them? No. You might have been on the – I think you were on the day before. He ended up listing – I was like – Rec, can you come up with your five best options, like a Montgomery, Yamamoto, et cetera? And he said, sure. His list ended up looking much different. He had Franklin Killame three, which is proving exactly what you're saying. And he had Sam McWilliams four. He was like, wait, starting? As, as starting options, not in the rotation. I'm not talking about a rotation. I'm talking about the top five options after the rotation. Okay. So he I had... See. Okay. He didn't have Yamamoto on the list. He had, um, I think it started with, um, it was like Peterson, Lucchese. So it was anything after those top three. Then it was Killame, McWilliams, Montgomery. And he was saying that like exactly what you were saying. He doesn't like Yamamoto's stuff. And Montgomery has not been good in a long time. Just because he's done it and like you recognize yeah. his name doesn't mean that he's good pitching depth. He was like, I've seen Killamay pitch and he has nasty stuff. He hasn't proven he can do it well. I've seen McWilliams pitch. He has nasty stuff. Can't find the strike zone. But that's, I'd rather have that right. than, than the like just veteran guy who anyone could have had that the Mets decided to sign. 
which right. is exactly what you're saying well, I see. and a so point that he, I find interesting. Right. So what he's doing there is choosing like ceiling over experience exactly. or depth. So that, and that is in the mode of what the Yankees and Dodgers have. So I see that's yeah. an interesting point that, that Rack made then. Um, like, and it goes to how there aren't really starting pitchers anymore beyond the team's top three. Sometimes some teams are more obviously like further along than others, but the way the game is trending, like a Franklin Killamay, you go, what? But it's like, no, you really just have to stretch him out to 60 pitches to start a game, understanding that you got to piggyback behind him and things like that. So I, I like, you might say like, well, let's do um, like, if you need a spot start, let's start May. He goes three innings, back him up with um, May in the fourth. You know, Lugo, if he's healthy in the sixth or seventh, like, like you could do it like that rather than just say, let's have Joey Lucchese go as long as he can with his okay stuff. I, I, so I, I think that's an interesting, but even still, and, and so this is what the Yankees and Dodgers basically do. Um, even still, though, like Killamay, um, McWilliams are like bootleg May and Gonsolin. Right. It's, not, it's like, I see what Rex going with that, but it's not the same. Calibre. Well, he's Rex only he's going with what he's got. Well, no, but that's what, no. And that's what I'm saying from the Met standpoint, right, Rex right. idea is, okay, I'm going to match up our stuff guys with their stuff guys. And you end up with like the Dodgers are here. And for those of you listening in audio, I'm holding my hand up to a high lat- uh, altitude and the Mets are here with the, my second hand is, is lower. I'm doing a gesture that indicates a disparity. It's fascinating video. I'm so sorry that you guys can't see it. Um, Okay, let's go to our three batter rule and let's go quickly for uh, Edwin Diaz is the first one. He's looked pretty nasty to me for the most part. I think he's solidified as a clean inning closer, probably a one inning guy. And you go into the season hoping he looks like the second half of last year. Um, Familia and Batances, and in your mailbag last year, somebody asked you, are the second three of the three batter rule? Somebody asked you if it's a sure thing that Batances makes the roster. If you look at both of them and the point that you made in the column is that they're both sunk costs. So like, uh, you know, I guess it's no sure thing. Is Familia definitely going to make the team? Is Batances definitely going to make the team? How do you think the Mets view that? Um, so I, the, yeah, when that reader asked that question last week, it was like, uh, good question. I've been thinking about it. I, every time I watch Batances not look good, I'm like, is he really going to be on this team? Everyone's like, oh, Patances is a lock on the team. And so I got that question and, and I asked, I, the digging I did was more on Patances than Familia, but in theory, the same question could apply. I think they're probably on the team, but the thing is like some of these things, like the injuries to uh, Drew Smith and Vizcaino and so like, they have probably helped these guys cases to break camp with the team um, because the Mets have some bullpen options in camp that they like. So at a certain point, it's like, why does Batances assume to have one of those jobs if you have other people you think will be more effective? I don't think they're there yet, but um, it is not a sure thing that Batances will be on the Mets this year. It's not. That's what I'm saying. It's likely, I would say. Uh, but I think what concerns the evaluators that are watching him right now is that he appears to be somewhat close to max effort with his delivery and his velocity is not following. So it's like the opposite of like easy cheese. He's like trying to get it there. It's not getting there, um, which is unfortunate. 
but where they are right now. And again, it is a sunk cost. It's naturally easier for Alderson to write off a, a Brody sunk cost in one of his own, I think is a natural human thing to say like, oh, Brody signed this guy. Brody's gone. Six million bucks for spending either way. They don't like him. They'll release him. They're not there, but let's call it a non-zero possibility. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's fascinating. And I think you're right about the Brody thing because that was going to be my follow-up. Because if you're Sandy, think about, I mean, the Batances signing feels like a different world, doesn't it? Because that was like a big signing for Mets fans finalizing their bullpen last off season or two off seasons ago now. Um, and it was like, why didn't the Yankees really go hard after him considering he's been great there? Uh, who knows? Maybe he's destined to be a Met. And that was the budget they were dealing with. This is Brody's big signing. And now you're living a world where like Trevor May feels like an afterthought in an off season with a lot of other big headlines. The Mets have a very different looking budget. You have a different team president and different guy making decisions. And Betances is the afterthought. So yeah, uh, really interesting. And he, again, just doesn't look the same. And I've always been a little curious as to why a team like the Yankees would be like, all right, thanks for everything, man. Um, That's right. That tells you something. Sure does. Um, when a big market team has a player leave in free agency who has succeeded with them, who isn't 40 um, and says, all right, thanks. Um, that, that kind of make you should be skeptical when that happens. So he just hasn't looked like the same guy. And he always, he always has weird spring trainings, but you've done some interesting reporting on what's looked good and what hasn't. And it's almost worse that there are some things that are working right now and some things that aren't. Mm-hmm. Whereas when he was in his prime with the Yankees, it was like, well, I'd be fine. This is just Dellen throwing 88 right yeah. now. He'll get, he'll get to 98. You know, it's, it's taken a dark turn pretty quickly because his first spring training outing, he was at 91 ish, I think sitting around 90, 91. And I was like, Oh, that's good. That's more than he used to do with the Yankees in his first outing, but it's kind of like maintained or gone backwards since. Um, Rojas keeps talking about how the ball isn't cutting when they don't want it to cut and how his stuff is truer to what, where they want it to be. And, you know, they're seeing some positives, emphasizing them publicly, of course. Um, but we'll see. Well, I mean, he, to his credit, he went and did the whole, like, he, he never done anything like this before. He was always just a guy that could rely on his stuff. And last winter to try to save his career, I think he probably went to uh, one of these places like driveline, not driveline, but he went to a place where he worked on his biomechanics and his release point and all his stuff and all the Adam Matavino, like high tech cameras around him and all this stuff that pitchers are increasingly doing now to like help with their velocity and their stuff. And so far we haven't really seen at least the velocity piece show up. All right, Andy. Well, this has been another good half hour of the Shannon podcast. We will uh, finish recording and then not speak to each other until uh, the next episode starts. And exactly then. Um, what about usual. what about during the BNNY? Certainly not before. No, we we tolerate each other during those those half hours too. During, as I said, not before or after. Right. Of course. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back with you next week. We're about ten days away from opening day, so that's fun. Uh, leaves just about 
one, two shows maybe before uh, before we get to baseball that matter, matters and that counts. How so about that? I like to measure to my life in Shea Anything increments. We're yep. two Shea Anythings away from this big event. Is how I generally, my birthday, Christmas. Yep. Kind of. Jeff's saying one. It's probably one next week. Let's not one sell you a bill of goods. Yeah. Opening day is what? Is it on a Tuesday? Is April 1st a Tuesday? No, Thursday. Thursday. Well, anyway, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited to see what will hopefully be a normal 162 game baseball season. I really am looking forward to it. I really am. I earnestly just cannot wait to see things like how do the Yankees and Mets look? They both had really good springs. Both the New York teams have come through the spring very nicely. I'm very anxious to see how they actually look in the regular season. I'm very excited for opening day, Doug. Good. Well, that gets rid of that, some of that anxiety, I hope. Um, I think it increases it when you're looking forward to something you'll pick up about. That's a different type of anxiety. Okay, everybody, enough about anxiety. Go enjoy your days or nights, and we'll talk to you next week.